You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard, and we are set to go. We have some interesting things coming up today in the program. Later, Michael, we're going to make a phone call to Rome and talk with our friend Corrado Primavera on the program. Incredible. We can reach all the way around the world and access uh, brothers like this. And yeah. and he's a remarkable scholar yeah. and a, just a good good friend. Sweet man. Yeah. You spent time in Rome with him, didn't you? Yeah, I have been. He 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 also he's also a tour guide, and uh, I, I toured Rome with him and went into the catacombs and all of the beautiful, you know, the arena and all that stuff, and uh, got to know got to know him and his uh, lovely wife. He's just, he's just one of my favorite people, and his his that sweet sort of countenance that he has it comes across when you hear his voice. He's just a precious man. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear that in the second half of the program here today. In the first half, you know, you've been. Uh, in this series that was recorded at the Sandy Cove Bible Conference a few months ago, uh, you've led us through the world of Jesus, the mm-hmm. heart of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, part one. Today, mm-hmm. we're going to go to part two of the mind of Jesus. We're going to hear that in just a moment. Yeah, and I, I love asking now, new questions. I mean, how, how does his mind work? And I think the Gospels give us a good answer. He thinks in uh, in metaphors, He you know, the I am sayings. He thinks in paradoxes. He loves to turn ideas upside down and present them in in uh, in uh, sometimes very scandalous and uh, challenging ways. I, I I love to see his mind work. Of course, I love everything about him. Stay with us now for that teaching in just a moment here from Michael. Yeah. I've been looking at the mail that comes in from our listeners' emails, and producer Joe's been sharing these with us. This is wonderful. Here's a listener, uh, Tom, who says, Hello, Michael, Wayne, and Joe, and others on the podcast team. Thank you for starting up in the studio sessions again. I especially like Michael's teaching segments, how better to get to know Jesus from piecing together understanding from the seemingly insignificant details in the Bible. Uh, How better to show love to him than understanding him and the world he was in. I'm really glad you, Wayne, Joe, and the others are back together. The work you do is valued by so many of us out here. Well, it is a team of people. Some seen, heard, some unseen, right? (laughs) Well, you really feel like Tom gets us, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, let's begin. We're going to hear this teaching from the Sandy Cove Conference by Michael in just a moment. It begins with this song, This Is Who You Are. Misunderstood and undefined, a stranger to myself. Incarnate contradiction, I am poverty and wealth. I can believe and disbelieve, I can bless and I condemn. I'm dying in the darkness of not knowing who I am. Then rising like the morning sun, the light begins to speak. In a voice that's vastly strong, 
It's still so infinitely weak It's roaring like a lion And it whispers like a lamb It's thundering that who you are Is wrapped in who I am You possess the kingdom you're the sorrowful the meek the gentle starving ones who are the strongest when you're weak you're always making peace each time you suffer for what's right you freely offer mercy from a heart i filled with light To everyone who's lost, he gives a new identity That's grounded in the kingdom and a new reality It's found in loving kindness and a mercy that is free You can become the child that you were always meant to be comes through the seasoning of your life remember when the darkness looms you were meant to be the light a light that can't be hidden or we'll see it from afar this is who you are Let's get into the text now. Let's talk about the inappropriateness of Jesus. Uh, Mark 2. And I, I, I chose this chapter because, again, you really do see the way his mind works. Uh, this is Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Isn't that interesting? That an interesting detail. Capernaum has become home for Jesus. He relocates from Nazareth to Capernaum, and as far as we know, he, he's living in Peter's house, okay? So he, the people heard that he had come home. Uh, so many gathered there that there was no room left. See, this is Mark 2. This is early in the ministry before that gradual deterioration happens. And so there's this mob. Oklos is the Greek word. There's a mob of people waiting for them. Uh, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them since they could not get to him because of the crowd. There it is again. They made an opening in the roof. They are tearing holes in the roofs of buildings to get people to him. Now, you've heard that story in Sunday school all your life. Stop and rethink that. They are tearing holes in the roofs of buildings to get people to him. Okay? Uh, so they tear a hole in the roof, and if it's Peter's roof, probably didn't go over so, so well. Um, 
digging in, uh, lowering the mat, and the, uh, the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith, the faith of the men who carried him there. I had a friend who died of cancer a few years ago, and he, he got, gathered us together, and he said, you're going to ha- have to be the friends who carry me to Jesus. And there's a really good uh, example of, of that. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, that's always a bad sign in the Gospels. People who think to themselves are bad people. Just realize, that's a, that's a little red flag. So they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now think about that, right? How do you get your sins forgiven? You go to the temple and you make some kind of sacrifice. Well, Jesus is bypassing all that and just announcing the forgiveness of sins. And the Pharisees are going, you know, this this doesn't work. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, uthos, Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, and here's where he's, he's making a point by asking a question. Why are you thinking such things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk? You, you tell me, which is easier? Of course, they never answer. You know. Uh, no, now my text has, but that you may know, but that but that you may is not in the, in the Greek. It's just, know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So home is the bookends of this little story. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God. You see what just happened? Jesus does a miracle, and people praise God. There's, I don't know if it's his posture or his countenance, but with one exception, that's when he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's how it works. So, um, so the people praise God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Again, uh, Isaiah 35, 6, the lame will leap like deer. So uh, he, he's, he's forgiving, uh, forgiving sins. He shouldn't, he shouldn't have done that. He can't do that. That's inappropriate. Uh, once again, Jesus went outside by the lake. A large crowd, there they are again, came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. We don't have to go into talk about Matthew and what a bad guy he was and how he was a traitor to his people. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. The absolute lordship of Jesus, right? Walks up to Matthew, says, follow me. That's not an invitation. That's a command. Matthew doesn't say, well, let me, let me go back, talk to my wife. I'll get back to you. Matthew stands up and walks away. That's the dynamic of the call of Jesus. Walks up to the guys that are washing their nets. Follow me. They drop their nets and they walk away. It gives me chill bumps to even think about it. That's, that's the absolute lordship of Jesus. I think this is a big point. That's the lordship that he, he exercises over our lives, right? So, and we just saw it. Matthew, follow me. Uh, Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus, okay, so he shouldn't have done that. Now he's doing something even, even worse. He's eating at Matthew's house. Not a good move on Jesus' part. Very inappropriate. Uh, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his, disi- and, and his disciples... For there were many who followed him. 
When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, let me stop real quick. The, 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 the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, what is he doing eating with sinners? Where are the Pharisees? They're outside the building. I think some of Jesus' disciples are standing outside too. I think that's where this comes. I'm, I'm stretching here, I understand. But it, it didn't, this didn't happen inside the house. Okay? So I suggest to you that perhaps some of Jesus' disciples can't do it either. They're standing outside in the Pharisees. They go, why is he doing that? Right? So just, just you know, use that for your, uh, for your imagination. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a traditional uh, proverb from the Makilta, based on Exodus 15.26, if you'd like to uh, look into that. So there's another inappropriate thing he's doing. Now, he doesn't fast like you're supposed to. So let's look at this, this aspect of the inappropriateness of Jesus. Now, John, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, stop right there. John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're grouped together. John, at this point, is as famous or probably still more famous than Jesus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is mentioned in Josephus. I mean, he, is, he was very famous. He made a big splash. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Um, but but John, we, we fail to understand how well-known John the Baptist was and what a movement had gathered around him. Did you know, well, there were people that worshipped him as the, as the Messiah, right? There is still a group that worships John the Baptist as the Messiah. Did you know that? Yeah. They're called the Mandeans. Mandeans. And there's a group of them in, wait for it, Austin, Texas. Yeah. So John the Baptist was a big deal. He was a big deal. I mean, his birth is told in parallel form to the birth of Jesus, right, in Luke. So he's, he's an important person. But look who he's grouped with is. His disciples are grouped with the disciples of the Pharisees. And that's not to say that means John's bad. It, mean, it just means that there are these big popular groups that, that have won the hearts of the people. The Pharisees are very popular. Um, Josephus will tell you they had won the people's hearts. Okay? Uh, they're the back to the Bible people. So now they fast. Okay? So now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? See, this is inappropriate, right? Because that's one of the three pillars of piety. Prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting. Clearly, Jesus is praying. Clearly, he's giving to the poor, but he's not fasting. Okay. So here's, here you're going to see how his mind works. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? See, there's another question. They cannot so long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. In Jesus' presence, fasting is just inappropriate. In his mind, he's, you know, so why, why do you fast? You fast to, so, so you can be sensitive to the presence of God, right? That's why people fast. Jesus says, well, that's irrelevant when I'm here. Why would they fast? When I leave... You better believe they're going to fast. And we see them in Acts uh, fasting, okay? So, but it's inappropriate. It's more, more inappropriate behavior uh, 
by Jesus. And uh, I use are inappropriate in quotation marks, right? You do understand. Uh, he's perfect. Everything he does is perfect. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews, here's going to use a metaphor, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. It's as old orthodoxy and a new reality, right? Old orthodoxy, new reality, they just don't blend. It just doesn't work together. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. See, the old wineskins can't contain the new wine of the new reality. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, but, um, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and wineskin will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new uh, wine skin. So, so there's another thing that seems to be inappropriate. Now here's the biggie, Sabbath. Sabbath is the one thing that everybody agreed on. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, Sikari, followers of John the Baptist, you name it, everyone agreed on the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath. Um, so one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now Leviticus 23 allows you to do this. You can, you can glean from the corners of the field, which is exactly what they're doing. Let me ask you a question. Would Jesus ever break biblical law? No. He breaks the oral law. And that's why the Pharisees are upset. So that, that's what's happening here. So when you hear them saying, you're, broke, you're breaking the law, you're breaking the oral law, not the biblical law. Jesus is perfect, right? He's come to fulfill that law. So he's not going to break it. So why, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did uh, when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And about the time of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So when David was hungry, they, they actually went into the temple and ate some of the showbread. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man, and there's that title that he calls himself by. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay. Mark 12, 29. Jesus' favorite verse. There are um, three incidences where this comes up. The first one is where a friendly scribe, we're going to look at all three of them. The first one is a friendly scribe asking what's the most important commandment, and Jesus is going to answer with this. The second one is uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, where a less friendly Pharisee asked the same question, and Jesus will respond with half of his favorite verse. And then in fine, and this is my favorite one in Luke 10, Jesus asks a scribe, What's the most important commandment? The scribe answers with Jesus' favorite verse, and Jesus is right. Okay, so this is my case for uh, trying to understand what Jesus' favorite verse is. And in one sense, it's kind of everybody's favorite verse in Judaism, still is. It's called the Shema. Uh, 12.29. One of the scribes approached 
When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a great statement of monotheism. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. One. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloheka b'kol avavka, akol nefesh ka, akol me'odeka. That is the Shema. It's the great central creed of Judaism. You pray this three times a day if you're a Jew. Okay? So what's the first command? Shema means listen. It, here is not really as good a translation as listen. Because it's a, it's a demand that you listen to God. The second command is that you love. Okay? Listen, Israel, the Lord is, uh, our God, the Lord is one. And you must love him with everything that you are. So what is the Shema fundamentally? Jesus' favorite verse what does it fundamentally teach? It fundamentally teaches us the best way to love God is to listen to Him. The best way to love anyone is to listen to them. You know, husbands, we think that the best way to love our wives is to do something for them, right? I'll mow the grass, I'll build her a cabinet or whatever. Wives, you think the best way to love your husband is to do something for him, fix him a nice supper. The best way to love someone is to listen to them. The best way to love someone. And I think that's the heart of this favorite, uh, favorite passage of Jesus. Let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. I'll start at 34. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. When the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, that's a good thing. They came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Uh, I'm working on lists for my book, and one of the lists I'm working on now is all the test questions. It's a trap question. He can't answer yes and he can't answer no, but he always beats them, which I think is so cool. Should we give taxes to Caesar or not? See, he can't say yes, he can't say no, but he still beats them. He outwits them, which I, I love. So this expert in the law asked a question, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, this is the second part of the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like, and he always adds this, I think it's Leviticus 19, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that Leviticus 19? Uh, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So again, he's asked, what's the most important commandment? And he, he responds with the second half of the Shema. Let's look at Luke, Luke 10. This is my favorite one. This is a friendly scribe. We have friendly scribes and friendly uh, Pharisees. They're not all bad guys. In fact, this is the statement that uh, brings up the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. Then, this is verse 25, uh, 1025. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a wrong question, right? Because you don't inherit eternal life by what you do. But in his world, that's how it works. I do the right things. I keep the commandments. You know, but uh, Jesus is going to dismantle that for him. And Jesus says, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? And another one of my lists is the conservative side of Jesus. And this, to me, sounds conservative. What's in the law? What does Moses say? He'll say, you know, do what the Pharisees tell you to do. Just don't be like them. 
very conservative in, in some ways is Jesus. So very conservative answer to what is written in the law. How do you read it? And the scribe has the right answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The second part of the Shema, Shema, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But that's not enough. Okay? It was going so well. It could have ended right there. Right? But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then we get the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, which is not the answer that he was looking for. Trust me. Isn't that interesting, really, to dig into the scripture with Michael here on the podcast? Thank you, Michael, for that. I think these are replay-worthy because with the podcast, our listeners can go back, listen a second and a third time, and catch even details you were teaching that may have just kind of flown past a little quickly there. Yeah, and they can they can listen in the car. They can listen anytime they want to. I mean, we do get uh, wonderful letters from listeners who, who, uh, for example, have a long commute and they'll listen, you know, uh, in mm-hmm. the car. So, uh, yeah, technology is a beautiful thing. Yeah, even some Facebook comments. You have a couple of those in front of you. Well, yeah, even technology that sometimes you don't think is so wonderful can be <laughs> very encouraging. Uh, we have two two uh, listeners. Uh, from Facebook, uh, Armida says, thank you for the wonderful podcast, Michael and Wayne. They are life-giving. And my response to that is, if if they really help you, then Joe and Wayne and I have nothing to do with that part. I mean, that's <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's coming from the Lord, not from us. Yeah. But, and that's but freeing, thank- isn't it? Yes, it is freeing. And, and, but, and I still receive the encouragement of, uh, of that note. So uh, thank you, Armida. And then Holly says, Michael, love your book on the Hesed of God. It was a catalyst in transforming my view of God. So very thankful for it. Um, and, you know, I, I read a note like that and I think, how, how sweet that someone takes the time to send those words. I mean, I, I'm so encouraged Indeed. by that. So thank you, Holly. And I have an email from Travis who said, I've been listening to Michael since 1983 when I became a Christian, and God used his music and understanding to lead me and strengthen me to know the Lord and seek to make him known. The Lord has used Michael's music to richly bless, teach, encourage, instruct, convict, inspire, and comfort me through my walk with Christ. I just found your podcast and thank God for its blessing in my life. Thank you so much for it. I'm one of those who try to start at the beginning and follow through to the end, but apparently... The Lord has other plans as I begin scrolling back and get stuck somewhere in the process, and the Lord uses whichever podcast that catches my eye. God is so good, like the centurion in Luke 7. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm very grateful that God is love and offers grace to the undeserving. May his blessing be upon you and your endeavors. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you and your love for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Travis. I think that was a wonderful note. Yeah, and again, Wayne, I look at those words and I think, you know— the, the heart of a person that would take the time to write those encouraging words and send it is, uh, it just makes all the difference. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Travis. We receive all of that encouragement, and uh, we sort of run on it, don't we, Wayne? It's so encouraging to see the notes that come in from those who listen to these sessions in the States and around the globe. No matter where you hear us, help us get the word out about this gathering of like minds by sharing the link for this podcast. We hope you'll share your thoughts on the Michael Card Music Facebook page or reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email and write to us at in the studio at michaelcard.com. 
These conversations are just a start, and we want to invite you to go deeper. Check out more of Michael's insights through his books, music, and Bible conferences. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more music and conversation coming your way as we pause for this message here in the studio with Michael Card. This month, we're excited to point you to a study tool that is a little different. It's the Christian Standard Commentary Series. You'll find the work of many noted scholars who offer their researched insights balanced with real-world applications. Search for the Christian Standard Commentary at csbible.com and explore the various Bible books that are now available in this series. And when you order, be sure to apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. Many fine Bible scholars have contributed their examination and analysis of the Bible, and now you can benefit from their years of study. There are many books in this series to choose from. This could be a great opportunity for you to jump into a more focused approach to learning the meaning behind the scriptures. I hope you take the next step in serious Bible study. Search for The Christian Standard Commentary now at csbible.com. We're going to place that call to Rome here in just a moment, Michael, but in preparing for that conversation, how about singing Scandalon for us? You want to set this one up? Yeah, well, we're going to be talking to Dr. Primavera about uh, persecution, uh, both in ancient times in Rome and, and in present the present time. And um, all of that is a reflection of the fact that the gospel is a scandal. Mm-hmm. It always has been. It, it always will be. In fact, when it ceases being a scandal, it's not the gospel anymore. So here's Michael joined by Steve Mikesell and Ken Lewis as they perform Scandalon. Never thought he'd be so meek and humble. He would be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And many will be broken so that he can make them whole. And many will be crushed and lose their own Stubborn scandal on, and all who come this way must be offended. Some he is a barrier to others, he's the way. For all should know the scandal of believing. He will be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And many will be broken so that he can make them whole. And many will be crushed. Like the others long ago, but we ever learned that all 
Michael, it's very exciting for me to have our next guest rejoin us on the podcast. He's been with us previously, Dr. Corrado Primavera, all the way from Rome. We've placed this phone call because we love this guy so much. We want to hear from him. Corrado has been a good friend for a long time, and uh, he's shown me all over the city of Rome, and so he's a dear brother. Welcome back, Corrado. Hello. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your uh, radio program. Thank you for giving us the time. My pleasure. We want to talk about the persecuted church, the early Christians facing Roman persecution. And who better, Michael, than this uh, good doctor who has this degree in history and has a pastor's heart as well to talk about it. So I'll just let the two of you talk for the moment here. Well, Corrado, we have been in the the catacombs together and seen the actual uh, locations where the persecution uh, took place. But can you give us an overview of what it was like to be a persecuted Christian in the first century in Rome? Glad to talk with you about this, uh, the, the persecution of in, a, in a early Christianity. Well, let me, let me start that here in Rome, uh, we are evidences with the catacombs of so many Christians uh, persecuted, but not only in the catacombs. Uh, probably everyone remembers, or maybe because videos, movies, or even reading some books about the huge fire in uh, July 64 under the Nero's time. Well, uh, today, many people, millions of people overseas come to Rome, and one of the main sites is going to St. Peter uh, Basilica or, and walking around St. Peter Square. Well, let me say you guys that when you will come to Rome next time and go into that place, stop for a moment and try to picture that it, exactly in that place uh, there was the Stadium of Nero where Christians were crucified and burned mm. in his stadium just after the fire of 64 uh, in the Christian era. So, yeah, um, we're not systematic persecution. Uh, many times it depends on the emperor and the period of time, but surely talking about one of the cruel persecution in Rome, we have to remember July 64, and uh, uh, that uh, crucifixions of many Christians, where today is St. Peter's Square. Now, I think I remember that Tacitus, when he, he tells the story about the persecution, he, he makes a comment that the, the Christians were hated anyway. Is that true? They were already the object of persecution, right? Oh, yes, yes. There are even uh, some um, 
evidences in the Latin literature of some uh, historians uh, of that period of time that they wrote the biographies uh, of the emperors. And when they came to Nero's, uh, uh, they, they always remember uh, that persecution and the reason of that persecution. Mm -hmm. uh, Romans, the authority in Rome, they stated that Christians hated the the humans, the the, the human race. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and and when we read that, we say, "How come?" You yeah. know, Christians preach the love of Jesus. How come that is possible? Well, what is the answer? The answer is that they hate people because they didn't love games in the circus. Yes. Why? Because Game of the Gladiators is all about blooding and, uh, and, and, and killing people and, and so on. Um, Christians didn't sacrifice to idols, to the, to the, the Roman gods. And, uh, and so because of that, the Romans thought that the Christians have no religion. They were atheists, but, but of course, uh, this is, was not true. So reasons like that uh, took the, the, the authorities of Rome to, to look to the Christians and say, oh, these people, it's very different from us. And, and we know that uh, this is one of the greatest challenge about conformism, because still today is a, is a very current topic, uh, because uh, are we different or we are accommodated to the current culture? I mm. know, uh, guys, this is a, a question coming from history. Mm -hmm. So the Christians are living in a world where they are being called atheists. That's how upside down it is. Yeah, yes, because um, we know that Christians, they worship only one true God. But the Romans, and, and, and I do not mean just Rome as a city, but all through the Roman Empire, religion were all about polytheism, many gods, but Christians, they worship and preached only one true God. And because of that, they were considered people we know gods, so atheists. Mm. <laughs> Basically, uh, Pliny, he lived uh, in the time when the Vesuvius erupted, and uh, he was Pliny the Younger, because his uncle, uh, Pliny the Older, died in that uh, eruption of Pompeii, in, uh, of the Vesuvius. And, uh, and, and one of the things that the Romans of that time explained the reason why uh, the Vesuvio erupted, the volcano erupted, it's because the gods are anger against us because of the presence of Christians. And so stay away from the atheists. Help us understand the 
historical significance of the catacombs. Those who have visited Rome have been in the catacombs, and I, I, I've personally seen, um, Michael, images of the anchor, which you've taught me precedes mm. the cross even as a Christian symbol. But talk to us about the catacombs and what part they play in this story, Corrado. Catacombs is the place, the place to sleep. Uh, and basically, uh, full of tombs, one above the other. And, uh, and this is because the system of, of, uh, of burying people underground. Basically, they started on the surface just a little bit uh, lower than the surface of the ground. And, and then uh, they start digging deeper and deeper and deeper to make more room for other people. So basically, when we visit the catacombs, the one that we saw lower are newer than the one on the top. Hmm. And one of the interesting things, when we go visiting the catacombs, we see so many very simple images of stating their devotion. So we have a young woman with open arms praying. That is the symbol of the soul, uh, talking with God and uh, connecting with God, of the anchor, as you said, symbol of salvation, of the fish that is also taken from an acrostic from the letters, the Greek letters, the states that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior. And so taking the first letter of each word, they make the word ictus, that in Greek is also fish. And, uh, and so uh, we see so later on, uh, because, uh, uh, of course, uh, catacombs were graveyards, uh, common graveyards well known by the Roman authorities. Uh, so were, they were not the safe place to hide from persecution uh, because the authorities know very well where the graveyards were located around the city, actually outside of the wall of the city. And, uh, but later on, when Christianity became the main uh, tolerated, and later on at the end of the fourth century, even the only one religion allowed in the Roman Empire, of course, Christians had more freedom to fresco the walls, to make so many paintings, to, to tell the, the biblical stories. And so we have the story of Jonah, we have the Jesus at the Last Supper with the disciples, and, and many other, many other beautiful, preserved paintings uh, uh, illustrating their devotion. One phrase is that since the, the catacombs were common graveyards, uh, for instance, uh, visiting the San Sebastiano catacomb, uh, that is quite a, one of the many more important catacombs in Rome, one of the main ones, um, for instance, we can see not only Christian symbols, but even pagan symbols. Because in, in the same graveyard, both pagans 
and Christians were buried together. Mm. Mm. When we're speaking of Christian persecution, uh, one of the people that I remember, and, and the idea of an atheist, the Christians being called atheists, I remember the story of Polycarp in the arena wow. and him, him mm. yeah, him saying, him saying away with the atheists. Could you tell that story? Well, um, Polycarp uh, was disciple uh, of the Apostle John. John. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he grew up knowing Jesus uh, by listening to the teaching of the Apostle John. Mm-hmm. And when he became uh, an old man in his 80s, uh, because he was the, 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 the leader of, of the uh, Christian community in, uh, in Zmirne, uh, today in Turkey, the name is changed in uh, Izmir. And by the way, let's remember the uh, at the end of the nineties, uh, probably early to to no, it was at the very end of the nineties. Three missionaries were killed in uh, in Izmir, Smyrne. <laughs> so it kind kind of something that come back again uh, as the, the the modern persecution. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, Polycarpo was uh, so arrested, and um, and uh, he was uh, invited to um, renounce to his Christian faith and test by offering a, a sacrifice to 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 the God that. that that was that in that city, and um, and so and this is because he was worshiping and preaching about the only one true God and only Savior that is Jesus. So the the authorities say that you know uh, you have to deny your faith in Jesus, and I think. It's very uh, amazing the answer of this old man. And he said, I serve my Lord Jesus so far up to my age today, that is 80 years old. How can I deny my Lord that so loved me so much? And so he didn't deny Jesus, and because of that, he was uh, martyrized. Michael, that speaks loudly to us today, doesn't it? It does. Um, there's one one more thing that I would like to ask you, uh, Corrado, to comment on, and that is the fact that more per- Christians are persecuted, more Christians die for their faith today than at any time in the history of Christianity. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh we uh, that live in the Western uh, world are no use to that anymore in the name of tolerance, in the name of that, you know, anyone can profess their own faith. But of course, we don't have to forget 
that there is another part of the world, another side of the world, where culturally things are not like that. And uh, being a Christian, it's a very serious decision that mm. exposes one's life to dangers and even death. And, mm. and I think that the recent uh, news in the, in, the, in the last August, what happened uh, uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan as the Taliban took over that country, uh, or, or even other countries that share the same culture, uh, how is very dangerous to, to be a Christian in those countries. We have testimonies, and, and probably even uh, in, in the United States, maybe you, you met some of them, but we have some uh, in, in Europe. Let me, let me say just Europe in general. And I met a few of them coming from those countries as a Christians, and they have on their bodies the scars, the wounds wow. uh, of, of, of the, this persecution, current persecutions, wow. just because maybe they have a Bible in their hands. Well, we need to pray, and we are praying for those who are persecuted. They often ask for prayer, not that the persecution would end, but that they would have the faith to sustain them during that time. So that speaks loudly to us as well. Yeah, We're so grateful to have uh, Dr. Yeah. Corrado Primavera. Really, Michael's our kind of correspondent for this program in Rome, <laughs> isn't he? So uh, we'll, we'll give you that official title, Corrado, and th we thank God for you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you uh, to, to having me and uh, have this opportunity to talk with you and, uh, and even highlights these examples of faith. We learn much from you. Michael, as we conclude, I'm going to ask you to uh, present your song that you recorded in the studio here, Never Will I Leave You. I'm just thinking it was true then in the time of the Roman persecution of Christians, and it's just as true today. Jesus says, never will I leave you. You want to say a word about the song? Well, it's just what you said, uh, Wayne. It's, it's a promise. Uh, never will I leave you that Jesus makes. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And um, those facing persecution, it's hard for me to speak for them as a comfortable American Christian, but uh, those facing persecution uh, in the world elsewhere, uh, they, they trust and they, they hold on to this promise. It's one of the most precious promises we have. When you 
the scars and the tears. Remember what I have sworn. I'll be with you through the storm and never will I leave you. That's something I'll Thanks, Michael, for helping us wrap up this hour together in the studio. If this time has been valuable for you, please take a moment and pass along your comments. Share the link with a friend or post a review of this podcast. And learn about Michael's books, his music, and conference ministry so you can expand on what you've heard in this session at michaelcard.com. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. Find an edition of this new translation that fits your needs. This month, we're highlighting a wonderful companion resource that can aid you as you go deeper in the scriptures. When you visit csbible.com, search for the Christian Standard Commentary. Many gifted Bible teachers have contributed their long-time study of the Bible, and now you can benefit from their years of research. And when you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay the Christian Standard Commentary at csbible.com. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Carr.